a little antsy to get up here and preach. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> so, we uh, have been looking at Moses as a mentor for us in Moses' relationship with God. We've been trying to ask the question, what can we learn from Moses' relationship with God that we can then apply to ourselves? And so last week, we came to the point where uh, God came to Moses and offered Moses a servant leadership position, right? Um, I'm sending you to Pharaoh, God said, so that you can take my people Israel out of Egypt, right? And we saw, you know, Pharaoh's probably the most powerful person on the face of the earth at that time, and uh, God's going to send Moses. And so God had already planted this idea into Moses' heart, remember? From Acts chapter 7, we learned that when he was younger, uh, God had already gotten this dream, if you will, into Moses' heart. Uh, but Moses answers God when God says, I've got this great you know, servant leadership position for you. And he says, who am I that I should go do something like that? Who am I that I should go do something like that? And God says, right, <laughs> really doesn't matter who you are, Moses. I'm going to go with you. I, God, will be with you. By the way, wasn't that a great song? Same God, right? The same God that was with Moses is with us today. Right? We're a few years down the pike uh, from Moses' day, but the same God is with us. Now, uh, you might remember, Moses spent the first third of his life, we said, learning. He learned about the kingdom of God from his biological parents, and he learned about the kingdom of this world from his adoptive parents. Remember, he was adopted by uh, uh, the Egyptian royalty. And um, Moses um, then spent the second third of his life uh, being humbled. Uh, he went from royalty, from the prince of Egypt, right, to being a nomad shepherd in the deserts of Saudi Arabia and the Sinai Peninsula. He went from being a prince to being a shepherd. It's one extreme to the other. And he was humbled. And the end result of that humbling, we read in um, Numbers uh, chapter 12 and verse 3, where we read this. Now, the man Moses was very meek or humble, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. So get a load of what God is setting up here, okay? He's going to take the most humble person on the face of the earth and the most proud person on the face of the earth, and he's going to bring them into each other's company. He's going to confront the most powerful man on earth with the most humble man on earth. Just think about what God is setting up here, right? It's kind of interesting when you think about it, this confrontation between the humility of Moses and the pride of the Pharaoh of Egypt. Now, maybe you feel like that. Maybe God, you know, is putting you up against something that you feel like or asking you to do something that you feel like, you know what, I could never do that. You know, uh, who, me? And God's like answering you and saying, because you think, wow, there's a mountain in front of that, that I would never be able to do that. And you're like Moses. In fact, I think we use the same excuses that Moses used. Remember, he had this back and forth with God, why he doesn't want to do it, and uh, why he doesn't want to go, and finally he just says, send somebody else. And finally, you know, uh, God gets so frustrated, the Bible says he got angry with him. So um, it seemed to me that... Um, 
as God asked Moses to do this, it's one thing to be empty of yourself and to be humble. That's important. But that's not the only thing. The other thing, the other side of being empty and humble of self uh, is the whole idea of understanding who this God is who says, I'm going to be with you. The same God that you know, was with Moses is with us. And who is that God? And so uh, we kind of left off here last week, and I'm going to just pick up where we left off. Uh, God has to remind Moses of who he is. And, you know, it doesn't hurt for us to be reminded from time to time of who God really is. Uh, Because usually uh, when we stop and think about it and pause long enough, we realize God is much bigger and stronger and present uh, than we normally think of him. And so first of all, God reveals himself through his word. Uh, We could go to the burning bush. You remember the burning bush and Moses is called aside and uh, God speaks to him. And I'm so glad we have a speaking God. I'm so glad that the God that we worship, the God that we've come together today to worship is a speaking God. He's not silent. You can, he reveals himself through his words and he speaks to us and he speaks especially through his word, the scriptures. You might remember uh, right after the resurrection, a couple of guys were going home. There were two guys on their way to a place called Emmaus and Jesus catches up with them, the risen Jesus, right after he'd come out of the grave, you know, and they don't recognize him, and so they're just walking along talking, and, and Jesus is like, you know, why are you guys so sad, and are you the only one who doesn't know? And, and, and Jesus, the Bible says, began to open the word of God to them, began in Genesis and began to take their Old Testament and show them that Jesus had to die on a cross, that as prophetically, you know, all through the Old Testament and so forth. And do you remember as they came to kind of the end of their walk, after God, uh, Jesus revealed himself, uh, one of them says, didn't our hearts burn? Didn't our hearts burn as Jesus opened up the scriptures, the word of God to us? And isn't that true in your life today? When you hear something from God, it's not like hearing something from any place else. Somehow it gets past all of our mental stuff, gets into our heart, gets into our soul, and it stirs us. You, you know it when you hear from God, right? Our God is a speaking God, and sometimes we don't want to hear it. Like, like Moses, he's just like, you know, who am I that you should talk to me? But God reveals himself through his word. And then second, I want to suggest to you that um, God reveals himself through his name through his name. Names were very important in the scriptures because they revealed and gave insight as to who the person was. So in Exodus uh, chapter 3, Moses, you know, speaks to God in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 13, and uh, Moses says this to God. Then Moses says to God, you know, if I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, hey, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they're asking me, what's his name? What am I going to say? Like, who am I going to tell them sent me to get them out of Egypt? And so, verse 14, God says to Moses, I am who I am. Tell them I am sent you. Now, this is a very special name, okay? Tell them I am has sent me to you. Um, Again, names are very important. I am is spelled Y-H-W-H. It's unpronounceable. And the Jews never pronounced this name of God. And until long after Jesus 
came, uh, vowels were added to YHWH to become Yahweh, which was the name of God, which simply means God is. God is, Yahweh. Eventually that became Jehovah. And uh, it just means God is. I am. Tell him I am sent you. And, uh, and then in verse 15, the next verse, God also says this to Moses, okay? In verse 15, he says, Say to this people of Israel, The Lord, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. Here, the, whenever you see in the Bible, Lord, in all capital letters, like here, if you have your Bible or you're watching the screen, uh, when Lord is in capital letters, it's, a, it's hooked to this special name of God, Yahweh. And uh, it means Lord, it means Yahweh. And it's used many, many times. The word Lord is used many, many times uh, in the Old Testament and New, as you know. Uh, the divine word of Yahweh was never pronounced until, again, these vowels were added, which made it uh, pronounceable. And so God reveals himself through his name. So there are many names in the Bible about God, right? Uh, Jehovah Jireh, God is my provider. God is my provider. Jehovah Shalom, God is my peace. Uh, Jehovah Rophi, God is my healer. Uh, Jehovah Rohi, God is my shepherd. Um, so all of these roles that God wants to occupy in our lives, he's way more than what we think. All to say that names are really uh, important. And uh, this name, Lord, is hooked up to this name right here in this passage. Uh, God also said to Moses, so this people, say to this people, Israel, the Lord, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent you. And then he says this, this is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This is my name forever, God says. This is who I am. Way back here in Moses, God's revealing himself, uh, who he really is. Um, and this is the name that will be remembered throughout all generations. A third way that I think God reveals himself to Moses is through prophecy. God is the only one who knows the future. And so God says to him in like verse 19, um, it says, I know the king of Egypt is not going to let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. And then he goes on and he says, listen, I know when you go down there and you tell the pharaoh of Egypt to let my people go, he's not going to do it. I'm telling you, before you even go, I am the one who knows the future. I know how the pharaoh is going to act and so forth. And prophecy becomes a very real uh, issue for uh, God to reveal himself. I love this passage in Isaiah chapter 44 Verses 6 and 7, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and besides me there is no God. You know how people today say, well, you know, it doesn't really matter as long as you're sincere. All of the different religions lead to the same God. You know, they're just different places around the bottom of the mountain, but they all lead to God. No, there are no other gods. There's just the God of the Bible, the God of Jesus uh, the God who's revealed himself, and one of the ways he's done that is through prophecy. And he asks this question. He, like, throws out a challenge here. He's like, who is like me, God says? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. 
He's like daring somebody. You, you come and tell me. What's going to happen five years from now, ten years from now, a thousand years from now? God says, I've revealed it in the scriptures. I think one of the great privileges of being a Christian is having God reveal to us what's coming. The Lord is coming back. Uh, this is what's going to happen in the world right before he comes back. The, the last seven years of uh, life as we know it on this planet is mapped out in the scriptures. Uh, in Matthew 24, Jesus talks about it. And Daniel, in the Old Testament, you know, lays all of this out for us. And, of course, the book of Revelation. And when you put them all together, they all say the same thing. And it gives us a great deal of comfort, you know. Uh, God's people, the Bible says, love love the return of Jesus. We can't wait for Jesus to come back. Isn't that true of us? I mean, don't you watch the news and say, come Lord Jesus? Like what is going on in our world? Please come soon and straighten it all out. And uh, the thousand year millennial period, you know, people have debates about end times and prophecy. And uh, I'm afraid sometimes people stay away from it because it sounds so confusing. But uh, I just feel like we're missing out when we really stay away from all that God. Uh, up to a third of the Bible is considered prophetic when it was written. If you think about all the things we knew before, from the Bible before Jesus was born, I mean, it's just, it's great. All right, God reveals himself through prophecy, and then God reveals himself to Moses through his power. In uh, chapter 4, Moses answers, and Moses got excuses again. I don't want to do this, you know. And, and then Moses answered and said, but behold, you know what? They're not going to believe me or listen to my voice, for they're going to say, the Lord didn't appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. And so he threw it on the ground. It became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put your hand out and catch it by the tail, so he put his hand out, caught it, and it became a staff in his hand again. And so God is like, hey, I'm pretty powerful. Watch this. Throw your stick down and watch what happens, and then pick it up by the tail and watch what happens. And if you keep reading the passage, uh, Moses says, take your hand and stick it in your coat. Uh, all right, pull it out. And oh, wow, it's leprous. That was a really feared disease. And God says, all right, stick your hand back in your coat and pulls it out, and it's all healed and better and so forth and then God says take a little water out of the Nile dump it on the ground and watch what happens and it turns to blood you you know right God is like I can do stuff we can convince people you know I have power I'm not limited by uh, the laws of nature and uh, so you know God we sing it right he's a miracle worker he's not bound by natural laws and so uh, and then the plagues come that uh were talked about from the passage that was read and and all of those plagues are against Egyptian gods did you know that it's kind of cool when you there's a place in the bible that talks about how god is so dominant over egypt's gods and how powerless they are in his presence and uh, the plagues come the red sea comes and god's power is on display do you know god by his power has god revealed himself that he can do anything and uh, can you point to things in your life where, you know, the hand of God was on you. You know it. And he pulled you through this or that or he reoriented uh, some situation and so on. And then last, I would say that um, God revealed himself to Moses through his patience. You know, Moses kept making excuses, making excuses. And finally, uh, God says, all right, I know your brother Aaron. You say you can't talk. You don't trust me. We'll bring him along and he'll be your mouthpiece. I'm going to talk to you, Moses, and you talk to him, and he'll be the spokesperson. He'll be the upfront person. So 
I want to say that servant leaders uh, have to not only be humble and uh, empty of self, but they also have to be filled with confidence that this God uh, fills us with faith and with his spirit and filled with confidence in his word, the Bible, filled with confidence in God's name, the name that's above all names, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We can't just toss this around like it's casual. Uh, The God of heaven has revealed himself. Uh, There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we might be saved in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, other than the name of Jesus. So God reveals himself by his name, filled with confidence in God's power, the power that brought Jesus back from the dead on Easter Sunday, the power to keep, prof- uh, keep promises, the power of prophecy, of revealing to us. I, and it's very faith-building to just at Christmas time go back over, I can point to 50 different prophecies in the Bible that talk about Christmas that happened exactly the way they said, written hundreds and thousands of years before Christmas ever came. That's our God. That's the God that we're here to worship this morning. And uh, we have to know him in order that we might be these servant leaders. But there's yet another quality that I think has to be developed in Moses. And uh, what happens, right, when we take God at his word, we do exactly what he tells us to do, and things go south. Here we are. We've got God's word. We listen. We go home. We apply it. We do it. And then things get worse. Has that ever happened to you? This is what happens to Moses. And uh, it's kind of interesting. What do we do when things go wrong, when things get worse, even though we're doing exactly what God told us to do? Now, uh, you might notice in here, uh, in um, chapter 4 and verse 21, uh, we read these words. It's kind of interesting. The Lord said to Moses, listen, when you go back to Egypt... See that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I've put in your power. Throw the stick down, make the Nile turn to blood, and so forth. Now listen to this. Um, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will not let the people go. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Now, you know, I start to feel sorry for Pharaoh here. I mean, what's he going to do if God is hardening his heart, right? And uh, if you go, if we just go fast forward a little bit uh, to chapter 8 and uh, verse 15, um, we read, uh, but when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart. He hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So I kind of want to pose the question this morning, Who hardened Pharaoh's heart? Did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Or did Pharaoh harden Pharaoh's heart? Do you know there are 10 verses in the Bible that directly say God hardened Pharaoh's heart? And there are 10 verses in the scriptures that say Pharaoh hardened his own heart. It's not a which is it. It's a both and. It's a both and. It's a conundrum, right? I call it a tension. It's a tension between the sovereign will of God and him accomplishing what he says he's going to do and the free will of man 
whereby we become responsible and accountable to this God for the choices we make. It creates a tension that can only be resolved by faith. And it's a very interesting uh, concept. I think many uh, truths that God reveals are revealed to us in a tension between truths that seem opposite to us. But we have to remember that we're limited in our minds. We do not, you know, we have the mind of Christ and we're uh, moving in that direction and God is changing us. And part of that is to live by faith, not by sight, right? And so sometimes our sight would make us fall out on one side or the other of this tension, you know, but the truth is in the tension of seemingly opposite ideas. God's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh hardens his own heart. Somehow both of these things are true, but only faith can bring them together. Um, God hardens Pharaoh, it seems, by giving him over to his own nature. You might resolve it that way. Uh, Romans chapter 9, the Apostle Paul tries to talk about this, the sovereign will of God over the nation of Israel and Israel's responsibility to God. Uh, Romans chapter 9, if you want to wrestle with this a little bit more. But it seems like the more God reveals himself to Pharaoh, the harder he becomes. And the more God reveals himself to Moses, the more pliable he becomes. The same sun that melts wax hardens clay. True? The same sun that melts wax hardens clay. Um, When God reveals himself, believers' hearts melt, right? And unbelievers' hearts harden with the same revelation. And we could trace that theme through the scriptures. Uh, Much of God's truth is held in the tension between seemingly opposite ideas. For example, are you a good person or a bad person? You're both. You're here because you're bad enough to need somebody to die in your place to be right with God. But God has been working in you, and you're a good person as well as a bad person at the same time. We're good and bad at the same time. If you force yourself to get off on one side or the other, if you say, well, I'm a good person, there's no bad in me, well, I can tell you what's going to happen. You're going to live in pretense. You're going to pretend that you're better than you are, right? If you get off on the other end and you say, well, I'm a bad person, if you only knew what I did in my past and, uh, you know, if you only knew what I was up to and so on and so forth, I'm a bad person. Well, that's going to lead you into despair. You're a good and a bad person at the same time, but it creates a tension. Are you a good person or a bad person? Well, I'm both at the same time. Um, good and evil are pulling at each other. Uh, theologically, you can say, hey, Jesus Was he God in the flesh or was he just a human being like us? He's both at the same time. It doesn't fit into my head. I can't reconcile that. If he's God, he's not like me. And if he's like me, he's not like God. But the Bible says both of those things are true. Um, It's hard to fit into our heads. And again, uh, The Apostle Paul says a lot of things like this. He says, you know, when I'm strong, I'm weak. 
When I'm weak, I'm strong. Well, which is it, Paul? Are you strong or weak? Well, I'm both at the same time. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, right? I am crucified with Christ. I'm dead. Nevertheless, I live. Paul, are you dead or alive? Nevertheless, I live, right? But not quite right. Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me, and so on. And so, you know, there's all these different, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul, you know, he says, uh, you know, I I don't understand myself. He says, the good that I want to do, Romans chapter 7, I don't do. And the bad that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Like, what's wrong with me? And this is the Apostle Paul, probably the best Christian you could ever find, right? Well, Paul, wait a minute, you know? Are you living the Christian life or are you not living? I'm doing both at the same time. There's a tension that I live with, and the truth is in the, often found in the tension. And so um, let's get back to the story here. In chapter 4, Moses and Aaron uh, finally meet. They come together, uh, verse 29. Uh, they meet out in the desert there. Uh, then Moses and Aaron went, and they gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and uh, did the signs in the sight of the people. And all the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed down their heads and they worshiped. Man, they were psyched. Can you imagine Moses and Aaron come and they gather all the leaders of the people of Israel together and they say, listen, the Lord has spoken, the Lord has heard your prayers, the Lord is going to come, he's going to deliver you. And those people, they just start imagining, I wonder what life would be like without slavery. How cool is it going to be? Wow, God's going to get us out of here. And they went home and they worshiped and I bet they started packing and they're just like ready to get going and so on, right? And uh, they, they felt so blessed by God. But there's a problem. In chapter 5, uh, here's the problem. A couple, first couple of verses. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and they said to Pharaoh, Hey, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Okay? So now we have a little bit of a problem. And the very same day, verse 8, or 6 and 7, the same day Pharaoh commanded uh, the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, As in the past, let them go and gather their own straw for themselves, but the number of bricks they make will be the same. So now Pharaoh says to all these slaves, I'm going to make your life really miserable. If you think you have time to go off in the desert to worship your God, watch this. And you go gather your own straw, like you do twice as much work with the same demand uh, for the bottom line. And so what happens? Well, the people now are really ticked, like, God's going to come and save me, and they've made my life miserable. It's made my life miserable. And so, you know, Moses, uh, he's like, you know, the people start taking it out on Moses, right? And so uh, everything goes south, and Moses is like, you know, I thought this was going to be like deliverance, and now it's gotten worse instead of better. And so uh, a few of the leaders of Israel, the, the taskmasters and the foremen of the people, Uh, told the people, uh, you know what, I'm not going to give you straw, 
and so on and so forth. And so the foreman of the people of Israel wanted a meeting with Pharaoh. They want to go and talk to Pharaoh. So they have this meeting, and Moses and Aaron are waiting outside the door. And uh, we read in chapter 5 and verse uh, 20 and 21, after they have the meeting with the Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them. And they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to Moses and Aaron, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hands to kill us. Now, can you relate to Moses here? You're doing exactly what God told you to do and things get worse. Maybe you witness to your neighbor and now your neighbor doesn't talk to you anymore. The neighbor was nice and friendly. You do what God asked you to do. And now your neighbor doesn't talk to you anymore. Uh, maybe you go and uh, uh, do what God asks you to do on some level. Maybe you uh, make a faith promise to support a missionary and you commit X number of dollars for the next year to support a missionary to Syria or whatever, and uh, you lose your job. What do you do? You're doing exactly what you believe God is asking you to do, but things are not working out for you. This is not what I envisioned, and things instead get worse. Now, we know from hindsight that we look back on Moses and this whole thing. This thousands of years today after these events, and we know that God had something much bigger in mind than to just march the people out of there. He's going to show off his power. This is like... Some people see Israel as like a bride, you know, to God. And this is like uh, a suitor that's going to go kill, crush the enemy in order to win the hearts of the people. Like, like in a marriage, kind of a, like a romance, you know. Maybe we can talk about that more on Valentine's Day. Uh, but what happens to Moses? Well, verse 24 then Moses uh, turns to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people and why did you ever send me? Why did you put me in the middle of this mess? I told you I didn't want to do this. I told you I couldn't think fast on my feet. I told you this, I told you that. Why did you send me and, and why are you being evil to your own people? Why is our church suffering like it is? Why am I in the middle of doing what you ask us to do and... Everything goes south on us. What, why are you doing this to us? And that's Moses turns to God in prayer, right? And then um, God comes back to him and, uh, you know, uh, people can be pretty fickle. And um, in addition to humility and confidence in God, I believe that servant leaders uh, need to know that when things go wrong, God has a purpose. And sometimes that's all we've got is the goodness of God. We know that God is good and that he's got a purpose. And even though in our circumstances, like Moses, we might not be able to see it, and it just seems like everything's going wrong, we have to, if we're going to be servant leaders like Moses, have the confidence in God uh, that when things go wrong, God has a purpose and a reason for it. We have to draw, like Romans 8.28, into the reality of how we live. Romans 8.28, you remember, uh, says that we know. We know. We don't wish. We don't think. We don't hope. We know. We know this, right? That for those who love God, all things, everything, 
all things work together for good, that God is at work in our lives for those who are called according to his purpose. Every time I read that verse, I think about baking a cake. Not that I've ever baked a cake, but I've watched people bake cakes. And you know what? If you take uh, flour and butter and sugar and uh, you eat that by itself, it's really yucky. But if you mix it all together and subject it to some heat, out comes a beautiful thing. And I think of this verse. I think, you know, a lot of the things that we go through in life are, are not good. They don't taste good, they, you know. But when they're all together and when we look back, we're able to see that, you know what? God had a purpose and he was working his purpose. And so like Moses, we too, we do what God asks us to do and, uh, and then oftentimes things don't go the way that we thought. And uh, if we allow ourselves to be mentored by Moses when things go wrong, uh, we choose to believe that God allowed it and that he must have a reason and a purpose which is ultimately good, and we choose to trust him, uh, it's absolutely essential for a servant leader to have a view toward God's goodness, the goodness of God, that he can be trusted. It's interesting, in, um, oh boy, it's in Hebrews chapter 11, you know, is the great chapter of uh, people who were faithful and the first part of it talks about all these wonderful things that people did but the second part of it which people tend to ignore is that all the terrible things that happened to people of faith and how they endured all of those things without experiencing the rewards that God had promised let's pray together Gracious Heavenly Father, again, we bow our heads in your presence and we just are so thankful that you're our God and that you're, there's more to you than we give you credit. There's more to you than we know. And we thank you that you're a God who reveals yourself to us in various ways. And we thank you that you've written down about Moses, both his good points and his bad points, so that we can understand who he is and who we are and how you desire that we become like him as servant leaders. And so continue to... Give us insight, Father, and have your way with us according to your spirit at work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.